Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Folks, sports are back, and you can save 40%. Get all access to The Athletic's exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. I got to tell you, stepping back into the rink again last week for Training Camp 2.0, it felt different, but it felt really, really good. Sports can do that. It can transport us. It can take us away from the difficulties of everyday life. It felt for a brief time like things were back to normal again. Don't miss our exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Subscribe now and save. Sign up and see for yourself the creativity, the reporting, the storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. If you go to theathletic.com slash front and nationwide, that's A-N-D nationwide, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. That's 40% off. Sports are back, and you don't want to miss the breaking news about your favorite teams. Go to theathletic.com front and nationwide for 40% off an annual subscription. We'll hope to see you there. Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is The Athletic's dedicated Blue Jackets podcast. Aaron Ports, I'm with you on a Friday morning. We finally have a game to talk about. Blue Jackets over the Bruins last night, exhibition game. We finally have some more games to talk about as well. The Blue Jackets, Maple Leafs qualifying series best of five is soon to be upon us. Uh, Starts on Sunday. We are pleased this morning to be joined by the Athletics' James Myrtle, the legendary James Myrtle of Toronto, uh, covers the Leafs on a daily basis. James, great to be with you. Legendary. I like the sound of that, Aaron. Thanks for having me on here. (laughs) So uh, I think off the top, talking about this series, um, I mean, there's a a lot here. There's a lot to unpack in this series. The thing that I love about this is these two teams – Probably couldn't be more different. These are two of the most drastically op- opposed teams in the league. You've got like the high-powered offense, the high-powered defense, if you can call it that. It's going to be really a clash of styles. And, and um, you know, it, it, uh, let me ask you first this, Aaron. When 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 Columbus fans and the Columbus organization learned they were going to be playing the Leafs, what what was their reaction? Like how how did how did the front office and how did the the players and how did the fans react to that? Uh, good question. I, I think I think mostly they were a just happy to have a a game to look forward to, sort of b just happy to have a a new team because it had been Pittsburgh, it had been Washington, uh, division rivals. This is somebody uh, you know that they've not seen in the postseason before, um, and I think there's also some people who thought yes, that's the. That's the kind of team that Columbus thrives against, uh, a team that that prides itself on being dangerous offensively, that is maybe softer def- defensively in a way that could maybe help 
an anemic Columbus offense feel good about itself. I don't think they minded the matchup. I don't think there's any part of Columbus yet that ever feels robustly good going into a playoff series because they're always <laughs> the underdog, always the underdog. Um, but I don't think they mind the matchup. I think they see it as another chance to to take some of those fancy skilled players and put them in their place, James. So it's interesting in Toronto because there's this kind of mixed bag. There are some, I think, fans and analysts that look at this and say, well, look at like Columbus only had one guy score 20, one forward score 20 goals. They, you know, they were 27th in goal scoring. This should be easy. And then there are other people that are more kind of the pessimists in the market. They're like, oh, no, look what they did to Tampa. Look how good they are defensively. This is not the kind of team that we do well against. This is going to be another embarrassment for the franchise. And right. and I would say there's probably there's probably more of those fran- more of those fans here in Toronto now after everything the the team's been through than yeah. than the other kind. And it's been so long since the Leafs have had success in the playoffs. And I know this is a unique situation. And I know some people don't like calling this the playoffs. I saw someone yelling at you in the comments on, on one of your recent columns saying that you 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 shouldn't be calling it the playoffs. But um, I mean, for the Leafs, it would be so cathartic. They're kind of in the place, sort of in the same place that Columbus was before they finally won a playoff series where it just feels like it's been forever. It's been 16 years. You know, I remember my very first year in the business, I was at the Leafs Flyers playoff series in 2004. Like it's, it's been so long that there's a lot of fans, a lot of the fan base and including a lot of the, you know, we have a relatively young uh, readership at The Athletic. A lot of the fan base was like in high school or younger when they last won a playoff series. That's how long it's been. So um, there's definitely there's definitely not a lot of confidence, even though it may look like the Leafs have have the bigger names and the bigger stars and 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 obviously the bigger offense. So it's it, it's going to be so interesting. I mean, if if there were fans in the building and and, and we were in normal right. times, I think that the, the build up to this series would be incredible. Yeah, it's a little bit different right now. Well, it's interesting because Columbus as a marketplace, they kind of, through the mistakes of the early years of this franchise and how far they were set back by all all manner of things that happened early with this franchise, they almost lost a generation of fans, you could say, because um, right. there were some really dark years, you know, 10, 11, 11, 12, where it just, it just seemed so hopeless and it's cool like you're detached from all of this as a as a media person you're not a fan obviously but it's pretty cool to sit up in the press box in game four and watch them clinch you know when it becomes apparent that they're going to be tampa bay and you just see so many people um hugging strangers taking pictures of the scoreboard crying um it was similar it's amazing how bad they want it here and I don't, and I'm not making fun of them at all. It's it's special in a way that when they beat Pittsburgh in a, just a game in the playoffs, it had the same feel where it was like we use the phrase too often, but it was like pandemonium. There are people who weren't sure what to do with how they were feeling because it had been so long and it meant so much. And so the Tampa series, it's a first-round series, and yet people here are like, where's the parade going to be? What Are we going to take it up High Street or bring it across Broad, right? It's the first-round series because it was so big to them. <laughs> and I think to the Blue Jackets players, management, even coaches, 
having won a series, just getting that boulder up to the top of the hill, now they know they can do it. And so with that comes a little bit, maybe swagger is not the right word, but there's a self-assuredness that it is within them. Having said that, they lost so much. They're so different right now than they were against Tampa. Um, right. You take Panarin out of the equation. Th- that's your easy goal guy. They have one of them. He's gone. You take Matt Duchesne out of the out of the, and he's he's a liability defensively. But you look at their centers, you know now, and it's like Pierre Luc Dubois has to be a two way monster, or that cast of centers is pretty average. You take Josh Anderson out of the mix, and he I suppose he could play in this series. It's highly under wraps at this point. But he was huge in that, that Tampa series. I just that's a lot to lose. I haven't even mentioned Bobrovsky and their young goaltenders. Um, I just it just feels like and I've been saying this for a while, I wonder how you feel, James. The margin the blue jackets margin of error is so thin in that it feels like they're the team that could play well, really well, and not win a game. I don't mean any game, but in a certain game that could play well and not be rewarded with the win. And I feel like the Leafs have enough talent and skill that they can sort of patch some of their shortcomings and yeah. not play well in a game and win. Do you agree with that? Well, they did that. They've done that a lot the last, I would say, three years where they could kind of sleepwalk through games and win. You know, the goals come so easily both ways for the Leafs. Um, my, our editor in Toronto, Mike Cormack, sent me a stat last night, and it was, how many times do you think the Leafs have allowed five goals in a game? And they only, they only played 70 games. They allowed five goals in a game, I believe the number's 19 times. And then they scored five goals in a game almost the same number of times. Like, they had right. a lot of Leafs games. Like, they, they had some 8-6 games in, in this NHL, like, yeah. in, with how low scoring it is. So... It's that's what we talk about the clash of styles. Like they're, you know, the under Sheldon Keith, the Leafs were the highest scoring team in the NHL after they he took over for Babcock, and um, they were they were sort of average defensively, but they didn't get goaltending. And you combine all of that, and they just had a lot of these games that were just kind of all over the place. And it's interesting you talked about the I I saw a game in Columbus as a fan in two thousand and seven. I was sitting on row two behind the bench they were playing the Nashville Predators as it was the last game of the season and they and the Columbus lost two nothing in the last game of the season and the and I was sitting among all like Columbus Blue Jacket season ticket holders and just like even in 2007 it had only been whatever seven years for the franchise the fan base was so beaten down and so disillusioned and they had had such a bad season again and it had been so long for them I don't even know I don't think they had even made the playoffs by that point no, right no they had not and Nashville Nashville was a really good team mm-hmm. that they had to play all the time because I think at that point they were in the same division and I just it w- it was really interesting to see just how how much angst there was in that fan base at that time. So like they've had a, they've had a long road to here. I mean you've seen the whole thing. You've been covering it. Right. I mean are are you from are you from Columbus or Ohio originally? Yeah, like, yeah. You, you know the market and right. yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mount Vernon like you, just an hour north. Yeah, so you really understand kind of the elation when they got that franchise and oh. you, know, I, I, you know it's not the same as the Leafs but there's a certain torturedness to this series on both sides of of the yeah. equation and, and two two points to that like so this is Ohio State football territory and yeah. 
you know, not this, not to turn this into a college football podcast, but the one thing, and I'm not a college football fan, but the one thing about them that is just remarkable is they've not Ohio State football. That is, they don't have those five, six year stretches where they're bad and they come back again. They're just always good, and so there's a huge part of the fan base here. And yes, they draw Blue Jackets fans aren't necessarily Ohio State fans, but there's tons of crossovers. These people just aren't used to their sports team losing. It just doesn't happen. Like, And they're not used to existing in a world where everybody has a similar level of resources, like a salary cap. They're used to Ohio State just dummying eight of their ten opponents in a yearly basis. So impatience comes really naturally to a lot of people, and it's rewarded. The other thing, though, is to your point, there were so many seasons here that were lost by U.S. Thanksgiving, done, like hopeless, and not only were were the seasons lost, but the reward for the awful season never came because they screwed up the draft so badly, and it didn't yeah. take long for people to figure that out. It's like all of these just torturous long seasons. You've seen them a few in Toronto. There's they, they're in vain because there's no there's no you're supposed to be rewarded for that. <laughs> And they don't. They, I've covered a bunch of those. Oh, yeah. And they just yeah. never, they never capitalized on that. Um, and you, when you talk about 0607, if, if it's the end of the season in 0607, that's when when Doug McLean was was in his final days as the general manager, and it was just unbelievably toxic. Ken Hitchcock had been hired against his wishes. Who's in charge of this organization now? It turns out it was Hitchcock. And McLean was fired a couple few days after the season and replaced by Scott Housen, which is when this organization's uh, sort of step into legitimacy happened. And it's continued under these guys. All right. Well, let's get into the, the current team. We, you and I did like a scouting the enemy kind of thing where we both asked each other questions. And I, the response from that was really, really positive, like more than I was expecting. Like there were, I got a lot of tweets and comments from Leafs fans saying like, now I know more about the Blue Jackets. And so I think we can do some of that here a little bit. And, you know, starting with, with Columbus, you mentioned Dubois. He's a guy that, you know, is kind of, he, when he was picked, if I remember correctly, it was considered a little bit high, right? Like I, you know, I think he went third overall. Is that correct? That's, and people were like, oh, that seems like a little bit of a reach. And he left some good players on the board, but he's kind of starting to deliver on where he was taken. It is my read on the situation. Yeah, he was taken three overall by a Finnish general manager who passed on Puglia Yarvi. Right. And right. I'll never forget the sound in the arena, but I have immense respect for Jarmo Kekalainen, who went up to the stage, took the guy he wanted, and was basically, bring it on. You know, boo it all you want. This is the guy that we want. And they tried to move down, couldn't, couldn't facilitate a trade. Dubois looks at times like a number one center. Uh, looks like a he's an absolute moose of a player. But every once in a while, he surprises you with his skill, with his speed. Last night, he against the Bruins, granted an exhibition game, he looked fast, he looked creative, he looked overwhelming physically. And I wrote about that overnight for this morning, just about the task that's ahead of him. Because uh, you know mm-hmm. he's going to see Matthews or Tavares with regularity. Uh, the Blue Blue Jackets will try to get that matchup as much as they can, one of them. And how that kid plays in this series is absolutely monumental for them because they don't 
have a lot of difference makers off offensively. He needs to be one. Who are they going to put on his wing? Well, right now, I mean, this is all subject to change. On, his, on the right side is Oliver Bjorkstrand, who is probably a well-kept secret to Leafs fans, but has a yeah. lethal shot um, and has come a long way in the last couple of years. And to breathe a little bit of skill into that line, uh, rookie Alexander Texier uh, is on the left, and he's it's not all clicked for him yet, but the guy can move a puck. So... You know, that is, if that is uh, Panarin's old spot to Dubois' left, he's not that mm. kind of player. He's not the kind of guy who dances through traffic with it. But Texier has great vision, uh, has a decent sized frame, but, but isn't there to use it yet. But those lines, like all lines, James, subject to change. Well, I've noticed that they've changed a bunch of times over the course of the last, you know, we were trying to have that conversation. I asked you at one point in the conversation what the lines were, and then they were different two days later, and of people course. were complaining that we had the wrong lines in the store. And it's, yeah. Whereas the Leafs, I mean, they basically had, they the Leafs were using these lines in like phase two. You know, the, Toronto had most of their players in Toronto. I don't know if this matters or not, but they had most of their players in Toronto, whatever it was, four or five, six weeks ago, skating together in their little six-player pods, and that was their lines. You know, they were they they were together that's then awesome. and they haven't changed since then. So I don't know if that's gonna help them or not. Uh in the first exhibition game, uh the chemistry, especially between Kapanen and, and uh Kerfoot, uh, which is their third line, looked looked really, really good. Um so so if, if it's Dubois and Bjorkstrand and, and Te- Tessier, Texier, Texier. Um if Texier, uh I remember him because he's a French kid, right? Yeah. That was taken in the draft. Yeah, um, I haven't seen him play a ton. But um, if that's the line, I, I think what the Leafs will do, who have home ice advantage and have last change in, in three of the five games, if necessary, I, I think what Sheldon Keefe will do is put, put the Tavares line because that's the Tavares line is like the Leafs' two-way line. Like they're, it, That's who they would use against the Bergeron line in a series. Um They've got they've got the big Russian kid Mikheyev on the left wing, and they've got Tavares, and they got Mitch Marner. It's in a it's a dynamite line. It's so good when they're at the top of their game. They're they're fantastic to watch. They're fast. They're incredibly skilled. Tavares isn't that fast. His wingers are very fast, and it's just that's going to be a lot for any line to handle. I mean, they they pretty closely played the the Boston line to a draw in the series last year, and only lost the plot kind of in like Game Seven. Uh, but there were games in that series where they completely shut down Pasternak, Bergeron, and and uh, Marchand, which not very many lines can do. And so, like, I, I like, what do you? Let's say, just for argument's sake, that Dubois and Bjorkstrand have a hard time generating any, any offense. Do you think, like, is Columbus going to be able to to grind out enough offense if 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 those two lines play each other to a draw? I mean, that would obviously not be a good thing. But honestly, I they may, yeah, I don't know that they can have. Dubois' line play to a draw, but if you look at the way that that uh, Tortorella has constructed this, he's kind of spread uh, like you've got a, a forward in Gustav Nyqvist on the third line who's been in the top six all year. So they're hoping they find a a winning combination against a Leafs line somewhere in there. Gustav Nyqvist is with Boone Jenner and a, a good OHL boy rookie Liam Foodie who's just who's a skater a stretcher but not uh not a polished offensive player 
And then Wenberg is centering Felino and Atkinson. Now, to me, the where this this thing all hinges is on Wenberg. And I feel like I've been saying that only for about four years now. Wenberg had a huge season three years ago. Since then, I, I, I'd go back to a Tom Wilson flying elbow to the head in the playoffs. He has not been the same. He's not a playmaker much anymore. Atkinson's game, which came to life on a line with Dubois and, and uh, Panarin in the last couple of years, has kind of died this year. He was injured for sure, but even when he played, was not a dangerous offensive player. So somewhere those, those other two lines, they, they have to get something out of Dubois' line, obviously. If they can find a click with Wenberg's line or with Jenner's line, then, then maybe you've got something. Uh, or even a second line that they can count on. It, you know, the big thing for them is how they create offense through their defense. And so Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski are absolutely monumental players for them. Uh, Wierenski had 20 goals this season, scored again last night against Boston. Um, that's where a huge offensive push has to come from them. Another name to keep in mind for them is Emil Bemstrom who right now is on the fourth line with Riley Nash and Eric Robinson. But Benstrom's got a big shot, can play left or right wing. And if Foodie struggles, um, really if, if Texier struggles, you could easily see him move up higher in the lineup and he will get power play time. But so much of them, so much of their offense comes from their defense. So much of it comes from their forecheck. Uh, where they don't have to be special offensive players. They just have to finish chances. Um, but they're up against it, James, because that that there's, again, not much margin for error here. Let me let me do a quick shout-out for Riley Nash, who's a Kamloops guy who I, who I love and who has kind of evolved into, I know the analytics guys love him as kind of a shutdown type of player. Do you think that the Columbus might have a line that's just there to neutralize offense and not really generate a lot that was centered by by Riley like that that might be I could see that potentially being something that might work for them yeah well and that's that's sort of a tack that he has embraced here um very surgical in his play very smart very um predictable reliable right now with Robinson and Bemstrom that's it's it's kind of a mishmash where mishmash I should say where Robinson can absolutely fly and in today's NHL is a classic, uh, classic fourth line guy, um, a difference maker perhaps on the fourth line. And Bemstrom's more of a stationary shooter. I thought Bemstrom looked a little lost last night at times. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure where the fit continues to be there. But Riley Nash is a guy, at first you're disappointed by him in Columbus because he was billed as sort of a third line center who could play up. And in yeah. Columbus, it's been sort of verified that he's a third, a third line guy if he needs to be, but most likely a fourth line guy here, and that that's the role that he's embraced. James, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. The final twenty-two teams have made their way to Orlando and are ready to get back on the court. While the ending to this year's basketball season will be different than years past, there will be no shortage of excitement, and there is no better way to get in on all of the action. Then with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. To celebrate the return of basketball, DraftKings will have not one, but two $1 million top prizes through the first two days of the resumed season. So get in on all of the action now. If you haven't tried it yet, 
Fantasy basketball is easy to play. Just pick eight players, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for three-pointers, rebounds, assists, and more. There is no better way to put your basketball knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at $1 million. But if basketball isn't for you, don't worry. DraftKings is offering plenty of fantasy golf action for this week's tournament. With millions of dollars up for grabs this week, there is no better place to have skin in the game than with DraftKings. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code RUN, R-U-N, to get a free shot at millions of dollars up for grabs this week with your first deposit. That's promo code RUN to get a free shot at millions of dollars with your first deposit. Only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. So I feel like we've talked a lot about Columbus and I've been asking you a lot of questions, Aaron. I mean, let me, like what what do you wonder about with this Leafs team? They get a lot of press kind of around the league, but what are what are some of the kind of the unanswered questions a little bit for you? Yeah, well, so I have the great benefit here in Columbus of having long conversations with John Tortorella. And people may be snickering about that right now. He's actually a fascinating guy and loves loves to have there are days at the rink where the cameras and videos go off and he keeps going for quite a while. And he has a theory that defense, playing defense and checking is almost at this level is almost all attitude. In other words, it's not X's and O's. It's not, yes, it's taught, but at some point it becomes a willingness. And, and you look at this Leafs team, and again, the glare of their talent can be impressive. But their Achilles heel seems to be their ability to defend. And, and you've said it's not the defensemen only. It's also the forwards. Do these guys, are, are we the old fuddy-duddies that keep banging, checking in defense to these great thoroughbreds? Or do you know what I'm saying? Or is it willingness on their part to, to just play? Is it as easy as them wanting to do it? Or is it, is it more systemically challenging than that? I think that... I think you're dealing with, you talked about Dubois and kind of his age. You know, Matthews is right around there. Like, Matthews is, other than some of the young defensemen and obviously Nick Robertson, who they've gotten into the lineup as an 18-year-old right now, Matthews is the youngest player on this team. And I think people forget that. And it's not, and that's not to say it's just him. I mean, it's and Marner and Nylander are right around the same age bracket. You know, these are they, they're in their fourth season in the NHL, but there's, you know, a lot of them came in at 18, 19 years old. And a lot of them, success came really easily. That, that that first season where they made the playoffs when no one was expecting it and they had seven rookies playing big minutes on the team and they took Washington to a really tough series, all that was gravy and it was all easy. And that season was probably the funnest one I've ever covered with this team. Um, I think a lot has come really easy for these players and it's not natural to them to kind of sweat the details, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I, I think that... There, there, there might be a turning point here, but I don't know. Like we, it, during the season, they had some games where they were looked unbelievable. Like the game right before the break, they just completely shut Tampa down, and they played one of their best games of the season, and they had everyone healthy, and it was kind of like, there you go. Like that's what that's what you kind of expect from this team given the talent that's on the ice. Um, but with with what happened with Babcock at the beginning of the season, which was a mess, they had a terrible, terrible backup goaltending. Like their backup goaltending was like. 
an 860 save percentage or something every time it went in the net. It was a mess. Anderson did not have a good year. They had a ton of injuries. Their their blue line has never been healthy until right now. This will be like, we're not even sure where guys are going to play because we haven't seen it all season, Who the, the full blue line. You add all that together and you know, there was just kind of this weird malaise around this team a lot of the time this year, other than the first 20 games when Sheldon Keefe took over where they went 15-4-1. and and you really saw kind of what they could do when they were feeling kind of free. There's been a lot of burden on this team, and it hasn't it hasn't really felt like a lot of fun to be around this team or, to, I think, to be on this team. Um, even going back to last year, there was that sense. You know, I remember going last year going into the playoffs against Boston. It's like, you know what? I'm not picking this team. I just don't believe in them. I don't believe that they're going to get out of this. And it, the, they played some great games in that series, but when it came right down to it at the end, they couldn't do it. And I don't know if the Leafs are over that hurdle or not. Their young guys are unbelievably talented. And the question around here is, like, when is when is it all going to come together? When are they going to be able to overcome the hurdles of not having the greatest defense or, you know, their goaltender not having the greatest game or the greatest season? When are they going to be able to just say, you know, put it on their back and, and do it? Um We'll see. I mean, people are people are waiting to see if this is the postseason they do. I think one year they're going to do it. It's going to be kind of like what happened with Washington or, you know, some of these other teams where it takes them some time to figure it out. I think at some point it's going to happen where it just hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Uh, we talked about the euphoria in Columbus. Uh, what's the feeling in Toronto? And there's no media, there's no fans there. But should the Leafs, we talked about this in our chats as well, should the Leafs lose game one? Should they not look good in game one and, and lose? How quickly do the walls start to close in? And is it different this year in that the players may not feel it like they had that they would have in years past? But I feel like there's a fear of failure among this group um, that is becoming a burden if it's not already. I, I do think it's going to be a lot easier in this environment. Like, you know what it's like in Toronto when all of the media, like, I don't know if you've covered Have you covered a playoff game in Toronto, like with other teams or anything like that? I like, have not. No. Like a, no. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like a, like a playoff game in Toronto when, when it, we, we've had uh, the Bruins through here, like the dressing room for at post game and, and the next day at the practice and whatever, it's ridiculous. Like you can barely <laughs> fit anybody in there. Right. And like guys on other teams are always lo- are looking around the dressing room being like, oh, this is in-. like it, you know, when they open the room, it's like, it goes and goes and goes for like 15 minutes until it's, until the media are finally in the room. Like it's, and there's, there's definitely a pressure that comes with that. Like there's, there's a difference between talking to one or two TV cameras and talking to 16 TV cameras. Yeah. There just is. Yeah. And there's an energy even at every practice and, and every every availability, and um, you know you you got to go in front of the camera and you got to act really disappointed and you got to you know kind of bare your soul a little bit and you know say that say that it's okay that we lost game one and we made that mistake and and just relive it over and over again for a couple of days. I I just think psychologically it depends on the player, but it's been really interesting over this this break with the shutdown. Uh, a lot of the stories that Jonas and I have been doing on the Leafs side, we've been talking to former Leafs players going back 10, 15 years ago. You know, I did one with Andrew Raycroft, Jeff Finger, and you talk to them after. They never say it in the moment, but you talk to them 10 or 15 years later, and they're like, that media, that really bothered me. It really, you know, Raycroft said, he, you know, he feels like he had mental health struggles in Toronto just because wow. of, 
you know, he would pick up the paper and it was just like the stuff that people were saying was just, and Jeff Finger said the same thing. And they would never say that in the moment. Yeah. But I think for some guys, it, especially when the team struggles for some, and it, I had a really good, uh, uh, chat with Jake Gardner in the mid mid season. And, um, we did it, we did that piece. And he said, you know, in December, he said, you know, it, it really bothered me. It's part of why I had a bad season last year. Just, I was getting booed by our own fans and, and, and Montreal offered him a bigger contract than what he ultimately got in Carolina. And he was just, it wasn't in his heart to go to Montreal and go through that again. So I think that you take a lot of that away. You take all the fans out of the building and you take all the media away and you're playing in this kind of more clinical environment. The pressure is, they're still going to have us on Zoom calls asking similar questions, but you know, the availability is, you know what it's been like. Brutal. The availability is going to be four minutes. Yeah. You don't get a follow-up question and it's over. It's going to be... I think it's going to help the Leafs. Yeah. And if, if this is the year they go on a run, there's going to be people all over the league saying, you know, you got to put an asterisk on that because in a normal environment, they wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah. Or there's going to be a no more media covering the Leafs. That's it, Myrtle. You're out. <laughs> you are out. Just do it from it's remote. Not, I, it ain't me leaning on them. <laughs> I, don't think. I mean, right. I, well, I mean, I, I've, I've had my share of wars over the years, so I shouldn't say that. It's, we all do. I, yeah. um, I've had players refuse to come out of the dressing room because of something I've tweeted. It's not, I'm not immune to this. No, God. The stories you can't tell, right? <laughs> um, what becomes of these leaves if, should they lose this series? Like, we keep thinking from the Columbus perspective, if they get bounced in this series, maybe it's a chance for them to finally get the difference maker in the draft. I mean, this is hilarious, but the 12.5% chance to win the lottery if they get bounced in the qualifying series is the fourth highest percentage chance they've ever had at the number one pick, which if you think as hmm. bad as this team has been wow. through the years, that's incredible. That's a silver lining well, almost kept, for them. They kept finishing like seventh and eighth last all the time, right? Well, they, yeah, they, they would do this, you know, that that great uh, seven one and one finish in April, where they'd say, "Oh, it's a springboard <laughs> till next year," and then in October, yeah. people would be like, "Did we finish strong?" Like no one had any memory of it. You lose all kinds of stuff in six months. Um, yeah. In Toronto, we call that the JSL ban. So that's there you go. He, he had a famous. The journeyman goaltender had a famous like 10-1-1 run at the end of the season and they missed the playoffs by a point. No! <laughs> yes. I mean, 12-13, the Blue Jackets were Nathan McKinnon bound and went, I think it was like 19-5-5 and and got bounced from the playoffs on the final day when Minnesota won. They were in the West then. Um, but what are the ramifications if you can look ahead? Is, is there... Is this just a, a, such a weird year where you go, okay, weird year, now we go on a full season under Sheldon Keefe, or is are, are their ram, roster ramifications significant if they if they can't make it out of the qualifying round? I don't think so, just because you know my read of Kyle Dubas being around him all the time is that he's just he just thinks a little bit differently about some of the stuff and it's not going to be, he's going to have a very emotional reaction in the initial first couple of days, but then it's going to be very clinical and it's going to be very methodical. And they're going to really think about like they, the Leafs right now already have a plan for the next couple of years and how they want things to go and what the roster construction is going to look like. And, you know, one thing that Kyle really tries to do is not deviate dramatically from that for reasons that, that are emotional or that don't make sense. So, 
I think right now they intend on largely continuing to try and build around the same group and the same cap, uh, unique cap arrangement where you're paying your top four forwards uh, half of your cap dollars. I think there are going to be changes. Like I, I could see if if Frederick Anderson has just a terrible series and he had a he had a he had a tough year. Um, I could see there being a change in goal because his contract's coming up soon and he's getting older and. Um, there's going to be change necessitated by the fact that Tyson Berry and Cody Cece's contracts are up and they're not going to be able to afford to bring them back. So the blue line is going to look different next year. But I think that the cast could be relatively similar and they're not going to have a lot of cap space to really radically alter the lineup. Um, so, you know, it could be sort of similar coming into this year. People would say the Leafs look relatively similar, but they had like nine different guys just because all, most of their depth players turned over. And I think that that's going to become somewhat normal just because of the cap situation where that's going to happen more often. But um, to answer your question, I, I, I part, partly maybe the best way to answer this is it sort of depends how the series goes. Like if the Leafs outplay Columbus but still lose the series, that will say something different to this front office than maybe to some other teams. You know, if, if the Leafs are clearly the better team and just their goalie doesn't play well or they get they get a bad bounce in Game 5 or something like that, they're less likely to quote unquote blow it up or, or change something dramatically. If they're really bad though, I think that that could push them to do more than they otherwise were thinking they were going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, bottom line, do you think this Leafs team has the patience to play against Columbus? Do you, do you see them avoiding the trap that t- Tampa fell into last spring? And again, the blue Jack is, do not have the weaponry they did last spring. They still have the attitude. They still have the, the attention to detail checking. But do, do you see Toronto overcoming the the challenges that Columbus puts on them defensively? Is it in them? Well, I mean, they got some practice because Boston, I think, is obviously with a more firepower. But Boston's somewhat similar defensively and difficult to... I don't know the answer to that. I mean, that this series is going to answer that question. And in a way, it's a very good tune-up for the Leafs if they can get through this round to get to the next round because they'll they'll kind of get the monkey off their back and say, yeah, we can do this. This is how we need to play. And they have it in them to do that. And I know for a fact that the Sheldon Keefe has been saying to them again and again and again and again, this is how we play against a team like this. This is how we – this is our counterattack to what they're going to throw at us, the the one two two. I don't know if I'd call it a trap, but it's, it's trap – like or trappy um what Columbus is going to do to them that's that's the Leafs in more of a wide open game against a team that likes to trade chances I would take the Leafs 100 percent 90 percent against a team this is the kind of team that they do not succeed against this you know the they've had trouble against the Islanders they've had trouble against Boston they've had trouble against I mean even some of the games against Columbus they've had trouble against them Teams that are very frustrating, that play kind of like Switzerland internationally, that are or that are like kind of like a soccer style. Right. They have a hard time with that. They have a really hard time with. They really do because their offensive players want to feel like they're creating something. And if I'm Columbus, I try and make it a zero-zero game, score one power play goal late in the second period, and like win two nothing. Like it, it, it like that's really. It's going to be hard to do given the talent on the Leafs, but if you can get if you can get halfway through the game and it's zero zero, the Leafs are going to start to get frustrated, and you're probably going to start to find some openings, especially because 
the way the Leafs blue line is built, it's really built around offensive blue liners. It really like it, you, you Barry, Riley, uh, even even Dermott, um, Muzzin's Muzzin's like their defensive guy, but like they're just they they don't have a lot of stay at home options. They don't have a lot of lock it down guys. So Columbus probably is going to find some openings. So if you can frustrate the big guns on Toronto. And, and, and the other thing, too, that we haven't talked about yet, but the Leafs, their, their bottom six forwards, they really struggled this year. Like, they didn't generate a lot from their non, their third and fourth line. So, you know, I, I think spreading out the talent like Columbus is and trying to, to, to attack and trying to generate offense against the third and fourth line, it makes sense to me. Yeah, interesting. James, good chat. Good to be with you, man. Yeah, no, this, is, this has been great. Let's take a quick break here before we bring it on down the home stretch. Hi, everybody. Aaron Portsign here with the Front End Nationwide podcast. Most of our listeners are hardcore hockey fans who live, play, and work in and around Columbus. Well, what better way to reach those listeners and promote your business than through our show? Our listeners are loyal and engaged, just like you. To advertise on this show, just go to theathletic.com slash podcast ads that's theathletic.com slash p-o-d-c-a-s-t-a-d-s um okay let's 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 get into like maybe some more uh higher level kind of thinking about this i mean like what's what's your general prediction for the series like where where how do you think this is going to play out i'm not sure i'm capable of higher level thinking james (laughs) Um, Forced for the trees is what it, you know, like. Right. Uh, you know, I just, I, I have to admit, I watched them play against Boston last night. It was an exhibition game, so you don't draw too much of it. But then a part of me is saying, you know, like, maybe I have been a little too hard on these guys in in thinking of about what they can do toe-to-toe with the Leafs. Maybe I've fallen into the same sort of sucker trap that a lot of people do around uh, elite offensive players in the playoffs. There's something about this team. They're super, super competitive. Um, and they have adopted John Tortorella's dream um, fantasy of everyone being on board with checking. Everybody. Uh, that's pretty cool to watch sometimes. Um, but I, I, I keep returning to the fact that they have a bunch of forwards who are not individual, um, created on their own type talent so they this team can score i'll grant you but they don't they don't always take advantage of the other team's mistakes they can't they don't always execute when the other team gives them a a, a cookie they don't take advantage of it um i and their margin for error with this team which was thin last year is so much thinner we haven't even meant. We're all assuming that whoever plays in goal for the Blue Jackets, be it Corpusalo or Merzlikens, I think it's going to be Merzlikens. But we, none of them, neither of them have ever played in the playoffs. So, but and yet I'm telling myself that that that's not a concern, but it probably should be, at least a mild concern until you they show you otherwise. But I the I, I just keep going back to the fact that they they can play really really well. They can check the daylights out of out of Toronto, and lose two to one with ease. Um, can they find a power play? They've got Seth Jones on the half wall now, a look they've never had before. Wierenski's on the point. That's interesting. 
can the power play give them something? It hasn't really given them anything consistently for three years now. They need something like that to rise up. They, they, need, a, they need some things to fall into place. Where I, I guess I look at the Leafs situation, they are susceptible defensively, but I almost feel like some things have to fall apart for them to not win the series. So I've been saying Leafs in four. <laughs> I looked at the game last night, and now I'm thinking Leafs in five, or maybe I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be a freaking intriguing series, and I love the fact that these are polar opposites going toe-to-toe because that, that makes for great theater. So something has to fall apart for the Leafs to not win. Well, I think that they can probably manage that, given that <laughs> it's kind of become the hallmark of the organization for a long period of time. And I think that this is going to be a series with a lot of momentum swings, and there's going to be times where the Leafs look terrible, and there's going to be times where they break out. And like they'll probably win one of these games 5-1 or something like that. Like They'll probably have some of these games where they look overwhelming offensively, and everyone's writing. Like I could see them winning game, the Leafs winning game one and just blowing out Columbus, and everyone's like, oh, this is going to be a short series, and they figured it all out over the break and whatever. And then they come into game two and they look terrible and they lose three, nothing or, you know, like it's, I think this could be one of those series. It's often what happened with Boston where last year against Boston game five here at Scotiabank arena, the Leafs were unbelievably surgical. They were, it was one of the best games I've ever seen them play. And it was Mike Babcock hockey. And it was just lock it down. They looked like by far the better team than Boston. They had to go, they had to go win. Uh, they had game six in Boston and then game seven. Oh, I got that backwards. Anyway, they won game five. The Leafs won game five, went to game six. They had game six. I'm, I'm sorry. I have it backwards. Game five in Boston was where they were surgical and they won the game. They had game six back at home to close it out or game seven in Boston to close it out. And they couldn't do it. It, it just, they weren't able to like, so there's going to be, I, I think what you're going to see, what we've seen all season is that you get a different Leafs team every night. And that's going to happen in this series. That's what's going to happen. Like, there are going to be times, there are going to be periods where it's like the Leafs outshoot them 18 to 1. And you're like, this doesn't even look like the same league. And then then, then they'll have some brutal giveaways the next period, and they'll allow two goals. And you're like, okay, it's tied again. That That's what I think we're going to see. And I think at the end of the day, I'm picking the Leafs in five. At the end of the day, they're going to torture the fan base as much as possible. And they're going to they're gonna sneak one out and win the series. And everyone's going to be at the end of it, be like, holy cow, Like that was exciting. And then they're going to get Boston or Tampa in the first round and do it all over again. Because that's kind of the DNA of what this team is right now. And if I, I don't necessarily see that changing. And I don't think that Columbus is such a, a pushover team that they're going to be able to make it to consistently deliver against them. Like they're just, if they were playing, they're playing Ottawa or something in a five game series or Detroit, then yeah, maybe they could probably do that. But Columbus is going to be enough of a frustration point that I think this series is going to be all over the place for the Leafs. Yeah. And I, I recall sitting in the press box in Tampa last spring where it's three, nothing after the first period, Tampa. <laughs> and you're, and you're going, Oh wow. Okay. This is brutal. You're, make, you're making plans for mid-April for yeah, where you're going to go. I'm coming home. You know? <laughs> um, I mean, wow. And then the, this team held it together. Like, there is a resilience. There's an unflappability about this team. And that was an inc- Not this no. incredible game, an incredible comeback. And they just went from there. I don't, I don't think a 5-1 loss to Columbus is as debilitating as it would have been years ago when they played Pittsburgh or Washington. 
Like I, I think they've learned to exist in this world where the other team has the the new toys, the fancy toys, the best toys, and they're just who they are. It's and it's unusual because Columbus is not a scrap iron, uh, Cleveland Pittsburgh type city. It's very, it's um it's new. It's white collar, and yet the team has taken on that largely taken on that persona. Um, and I I think they I think they clip out articles and I should say paste URL codes. That's the new way um, where people talk Download about subscriptions. how. Yeah, they exa- yeah. share their passwords, <laughs> bastards, um, about how uh, underskilled they are and how overskilled Toronto is and all of this sort of stuff. They love it. John Tortorella loves it. I will not hear his opening speech this year as we did last year against Tampa. Did you ever hear that, Myrtle? I think so, but he refresh my memory. Oh, oh my God! It was, it's great. It's from it's from Tortorella's back in the room, and it's a Fox Sports Ohio camera, mm. who was obviously supposed to be there. Tortorella hated the fact that it became public, but he he this is before they take the ice against Tampa in Game One, and he's imploring his players: you do not back down. You get right up there. Basically, he's pushing them to believe. Um, that they're worthy of being on this ice with these great players. He's going to drive that point home yeah. to the hilt. The best point is is watching like Alexander Texier, who's looking sort of at the camera and back back to the right, and he's got this look on his face like, "What in the hell have I gotten myself into?" <laughs> like, this, this isn't like is France this the norm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, come on, mom. Um, yeah, I'm not in the, I'm not in the French but, league anymore. But, when he when he stopped and and said let's go and walked away and the camera cuts, like you couldn't watch that without being like oh, like I want to go I want to go hit something, uh, it was amazing and he's gonna drum that home again this year and and God love this group of players they may not be sexy but they they buy it they believe it and they play for John Tor- Tortorella, they do. Um, I, I wish so, we were all crowded around Tortorella for his pre-game one kind of address to the Toronto media. And there's like, you know, 18 cameras there and 80 media people. And he's just going on. He's being asked all these oddball nonsense questions like that we get here sometimes. Right. And it would be uh, it would be fun. You and I'd be sitting beside yeah. each other drinking bad arena coffee and, you know, right. talking about our travel plans or whatever. And yeah. um it's too bad. It's too bad. It's not not the way it was. But I th- I still think this is going to be an amazing series, and um, I think that it's going to be one that's talked about in Toronto for a long, long time. So, and it, it's you and I talked about this a little bit, um, just kind of putting Columbus on a stage that they haven't been on before, it's certainly nationally in in Canada, um, and and just the level of analysis and attention that's going to be paid to some of their players and to their organization. It's a chance for them beating Tampa and sweeping them was very impressive and landed them on the kind of national hockey spotlight for a few days. But this, if if they come out and they convincingly overwhelm Toronto, they could be talked about as a team and an organization for a long time here in Toronto. And the conversation could shift to, let's say the, the Columbus wins in three or four games, the conversation could shift to, that's what the Leafs need to do. They need to play like that. They need a coach like that. They need a system like that. They need players like that. And and the funny thing is, I, I like how you mentioned that, that Columbus is a white-collar town. It's not Cleveland or whatever. Toronto's kind of this mix because it's such a big city. But when it comes to the Leafs fans, 
a lot of the fan bases really wants that lunch bucket. Like they still love Wendell Clark and Wendell Clark yeah. played for the yeah, Leafs. Yeah, yeah. Like before I lived here, you know, I, my son is named Clark and everyone here thinks I named him after Wendell Clark, even though I'm from BC and I would, I would never name my kid after Wendell Clark, but a lot of other people around here do. Um, the, the, like the, the ethos of the fan base, they, they want those tough players. They, they want the Darcy Tucker and the Gary Roberts and they miss. And, and this team is not that. So there's a little bit of when this team fails, it's like, we're built wrong. Like we, that's not the way you win hockey games. That's not like, that's not the, like they would love to have, they would love to have, I don't know, Matthew Kachuk or like, so, you know, the, some of these like, you know, shit disturber guys. And, uh, they don't really have a lot of that. They don't, the Leafs are one of the lowest hitting teams in the league, lowest penalty taking teams in the league. And they're really a finesse team. And some of the younger fan base has embraced that, but a lot of Toronto has not embraced that. And the clash of styles is going to play out that way in the fan base in that there's a lot of people that wish that they played more and looked more like Columbus. Yeah. Like I, I always think of the Leafs and teams like that as they're, they're a Ferrari. Yeah. Where it's like, man, that's a beautiful car. You can't take it off road and it sucks in the snow. And the playoffs are kind of off roading and kind of snowy. And I don't know if Columbus is maybe we're too rough on this. It's not like the Blue Jackets are like an old used Jeep or something. <laughs> They've got some, they're fun to drive, but they, this town loves Boone Jenner. This town loves Nick Foligno. Um, they love Brandon Dubinsky, though. He's not with the team and playing right now. They love those guys who, through their play, you know it's all being put out there. And really the way that this team is is uh, aligned right now it's kind of evident up and down the lineup like it's not always there's there's not always a ton there um high-end talent wise but you're getting every drop out of these guys by the time the game is over it's all they can do which for fans is a delight those are the teams you love and that's all you can ask so so they they want to go to bat with this team, and they love it when people like this idiot uh, sports writer for the Athletic keeps saying that they're underskilled and they're this and they're that and they're this. It's part of the it's part of the ethos. They want to be the hardest working team. They want they want that work to be rewarded, not just for the fancy kid uh, to get his way because he's better at it. They they love it. They love fighting up in a weight class. So, like, there's another example of a clash of styles and a clash of everything here because this fan base, like, you talked about Columbus giving everything they have and not having a drop left. It's very rare that anyone in this fan base feels that way about the Leafs team. They feel like, like, yeah. even when they win the games, it's, like, unsatisfying or it feels like they made it right. harder than they had to and they didn't. So, and I, I, I actually, I want to be clear. Like, I'm, I'm not just trying to be hard on the three young stars or that the Leafs have because it's not just them like it's not just you know and 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 Matthews and Elander had unbelievable seasons this year they like it was a career year for Matthews and I think he was one or two goals from winning the Richard and like he he was outstanding and he was this season was was Matthews moving to the next level and kind of emerging as a great two-way center and I think if we see this Matthews that could be the difference that if we see that Matthews that could be the difference in this series but um just as the whole team had a hard time coming together and, and and giving that effort level that you're talking about. 
Well, this is going to be great. I mean, hopefully we should do this again maybe after the series is over or we can do another article back and forth. But uh, it's yeah. it's it's pretty cool getting to work with you on covering a series. You know, it's one of the great things about being at The Athletic is that we have amazing writers on, you know, almost every team, every series and every yeah. game. It's It's unbelievable. Well, the thrill is mine, James. I've always enjoyed your work. You know that. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for thanks for joining us. It's been a thrill. We'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. I'm sure.